But hey, I'm excited uh, to jump in to God's word today. I'm uh, really excited to continue uh, in this conversation that we kicked off last week online uh, because of Serve Sunday, which, by the way, uh, we had nearly 90 of us show up here at 8.30 a.m. in the heat, in the humidity, and getting things done right here on campus. So shout out to, I mean, that's a big deal, like to switch up a Sunday and say, hey, we're just going to show up and we're going to do uh, some work and, and make these uh, community kits, which, by the way, the community kits are, are available in the lobby. You may have noticed them on your way in, but they are available there uh, to be able to take maybe two or three and have them in your car. And maybe if you're at an intersection or a shopping center and you may encounter someone in need, they are there and available for you to simply uh, Give them that and maybe have the opportunity to be able to pray with them in some kind of way. So those are there and they'll continue to be there. And so thank you again for your generosity in being able to make something like that uh, happen. And so we kicked off this collection called uh, I Love My City. And the heart of this collection really comes back, I just mentioned a few moments ago, was that we didn't desire to simply be another church in the city but a church for the city. And we expressed that we're for the city by loving it, by serving the city. And so that's why we have First Saturday Serve. Uh, that's why we're partnering with thousands of churches uh, across the nation on July 16th for National Serve Day. It's because we want to be a church of contributors, not a church of consumers. We want to contribute to what the Lord is doing because he's saying, yes, I'm sovereign, but I'm going to use people to accomplish what I want to accomplish here. And so that's why we want to contribute and not consume. And so we believe that the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. So some will say the local church is the hope of the world, but not if the local church is just kind of like, eh, somebody get it. But the local church mobilized. So to get out of here and to get out there and go do the work of ministry. And so what an honor it is to be able to serve this city. And I believe this, and, and these are some points from last week if you haven't had it a chance to catch it. It's still available on YouTube. You can go and subscribe to the Becoming Church and connect with it there. But we started this saying the reasons why we serve. And the reasons why we serve is because we look the most like Jesus when we do it. That the physical, visible Jesus, he's not walking around on earth anymore. But you know who is? I am. You are. We are. We're walking around. And so we get to look like him and reflect him to the people around us. And so the reason why we serve is because we look the most like Jesus when we do it. And also serving moves us from a me-focused life to a we-focused life. It's really easy to get caught up on ourselves and our interests and what we got going and what we need. But when you serve, you move from a focus of me to a focus of we. And then lastly, serving allows us to encounter the presence of God in a different way. Oftentimes we will say, well, we encounter God in moments like this where we come together corporately, where there's, you know, three songs and then a ministry moment and then they're going to do some announcements and then like, no, that's not it. But we can encounter God when we serve family. And so this morning we're going to continue diving in to the ways that we can express our love for this city. And we're going to do so coming from James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 17, and so you can turn with me there, or you can uh, track with me right here on the screen. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says this, verse 14. 
It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, oh, just go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And what James was talking about here, that there were some uh, believers that were just like, ah, if I just hope that you do well, it'll happen. And he's like, no, go see that it does. And so then verse 17, this is the, the, the point of verse 17 when he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. Come on, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for these moments that we share. Lord, we pray that you speak to us, lead us, guide us, direct us. Holy Spirit, I need you. Uh, there's nothing that I can rely on in and of myself. I need your spirit. I need your power to communicate your word to your people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Family, how many of you who have children knew what you were getting into when you had, yeah, when you had kids? Yeah, you, you already answered. You, you just did. There's just no way you can. And that is true for Katie and I as well. Like, we, we had no idea what we were getting into when we had kids. In fact, um, there's just things that people really can't prepare you for. Like, they can try to share some stories. They can try to give you some insight. But there's really things people can't prepare you for. Like, I like one thing that people would say to us was like, y'all need to get all the sleep y'all get right now because when this baby comes, y'all ain't going to get no sleep. And I'm like, okay, how are we just going to save the sleep? <laughs> how are we going to preserve it? I can sleep 12 hours today. When, when that baby wakes up, I'm still going to be sleepy nine months from now. Just make that make sense for me. <laughs> Just saying. Another thing, um, we were very naive as well. Because we listened to all this, you'll never eat a warm meal again. I will say we both love to eat, so we have still had warm meals. So I don't know how we did it, but we didn't eat cold food. Um, but another thing, but we were naive about this because people would talk about, you know, the baby's going to get up and you're going to be tired and all that. And I remember saying to you, like, these people, they don't, they're not doing it right. They, they have no idea. They've missed it, you know, the history, right? They've just missed it. If the baby wakes up, fine. You change it. You feed it. You burp it. You change it again. Elijah's telling me, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you change the baby again. And then you lay the baby down. Maybe they go to sleep. Maybe they don't. But we still can go to sleep. They'll just be up looking at the ceiling. How many of y'all know it don't happen that way? You're going to be holding that baby. You're going to be rocking that baby. You're going to be trying to do all kind of things to get that baby back to sleep. I used to, I used to mess with Katie because... It should have been an Olympic event. You should be at the World Games in Birmingham right now. The way she used to, I mean, she used to go deep. With, I'm like, man, how you, like, man, like, you, you got it. In one hand, got a bottle over here. I used to be watching 10, 10. Like, I'm not going to be 
a bad judge, but we were just we were just so naive about that. You know, another thing that people didn't tell me was how kids don't clean up now that they're older. They do not clean up after themselves. I, I cleaned up as a kid, so I didn't have any of that. They didn't get that from me. I'm not saying anything. That sounded wrong. I, I didn't mean to say that. But they don't clean up after themselves. And the other day, one of our kids, they bring all the toys downstairs, even though they have an, an entire upstairs to themselves. The toys make their way downstairs. And I was like, yo, buddy, I need you to clean up your toys. And he forgot one. And I said, yo, you forgot this one over here. And he goes, oh, well, I didn't know I needed to bring that one back up. It can't fit in my hands. I'm like, boy, it's your toy. Like, you brought it down, so you take it back up. It's your responsibility. <laughs> How many of you know that it's one thing to enjoy the benefits of something, but it's another thing to take responsibility for what you enjoy? It's one thing for Titus or Isaiah to want the toys, but it's another thing for them to take responsibility for those toys. It's one thing for us to have a healthy marriage, but it's another thing for us to do the things necessary to have a healthy marriage. That it's one thing for us to love where we live, but it's another thing to ensure that we can continue to love where we live. Family, it means this, we must take responsibility. And we can't look at the needs of our city as someone else's. We must look at them as ours. I want to say this. We can't wait for the government to do things that the body of Christ should already be doing. And if we already are doing it, let's continue to doing it, right? This morning, as we continue our collection, I Love My City, I want to do from, the, from this headline, Our City, Our Responsibility. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can uh, entitle it this, Our City, Our Responsibility. So family, I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in an amazing city. Huntsville, the Madison area, it's an amazing place to live. It's an amazing city. And I don't say that with my own biased opinion. This is what people are saying across the nation. And they're saying it by the way that they're moving here, right? Have you tried to buy a home in the Huntsville area over the last two years? If you have, you and 15 to 20 other people have done that. Hey, sorry, you didn't get the house. They went in 100000 above asking, what? Then they should have been looking somewhere else anyway. Like, why were they looking at this one? You know? Huntsville is no longer the third or fourth largest city in Alabama. In fact, we recently surpassed Birmingham quicker than expected as the largest city in the state. And that trend really doesn't have an end in sight. But that's not it. In May, we were named as the third most affordable place to live, despite what some of us may feel, <laughs> amongst the most populous 150 cities in America. But the big deal is the fact that U.S. News & World Report recently named Huntsville as the best place to live, meaning there's not a better place, hear me, in this country that you can live than right here in the Huntsville, Madison area. And I'm just going to combine Madison and Huntsville because, come on, we know it's pretty much the same thing. Family, you live in a great place. Huntsville tops the list. And I believe this, that the hand of God is on this area. The hand of God is allowing this place 
to prosper and grow. And, and, and we're Rocket City, but maybe we're Crane City right now. They're, they're, they're everywhere. Road construction is taking place and all kinds of things are happening. But I believe this, that we're also at a pivotal, pivotal moment. Me and that word are at one too. <laughs> Where those of us who are followers of the way can step up and make sure we have a say in what's happening in this area. Make sure we have a say in what's going. And it's not about going to city council meetings. It's not about rubbing shoulders and elbows with, with whatever, with that politician, no. But it's about us stepping up as believers, as followers of the way with what we have and what we carry to ensure a difference is made in the city. Because listen, the truth is, as this city grows, so will the needs grow. And so we want to be positioned to help meet those needs of the city. And so much of that relates to what James was getting at in our text. And so to give some context to it, James, who's the writer of the book of James, he's using a theme that he uses pretty much throughout his letter. And that theme is this, genuine faith in God results in genuine changed lives, meaning If you have faith in him, then there's a change that reflects that. James makes the notion that those who have received salvation by believing in Jesus now have the responsibility to live out their faith in Jesus in tangible ways. So, again, it's not enough to just kind of sit on your blessed assurance to say, hey, I'm saved. But he's like, no, it's time to put it into action. James is communicating that belief does not lead To action is not belief at all. Because if you believe what you say you believe, then there's action that's going to happen after that. Now, he's not insinuating that action is what saves us, but rather the action is a byproduct that reveals our trust and faith in Jesus. Are you tracking with me this morning? And that's at the heart of what he says in James 2.16 when he says, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, And well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So how are you going to go tell somebody about Jesus? And he's like, bro, my stomach is hungry and so is my kids. So you meet those physical needs. It's literally in front of you. So he's saying because of your faith in Jesus, it should move you into action. He's reminding us that we must take responsibility, that we're not waiting for someone else, but we must have the mindset that we are the someone else. That no one is coming. That we are the ones. And I believe this, that God has a plan for Huntsville. And that plan, it involves us taking responsibility. And so this morning, really quickly, (laughs) no one here was like, I don't know, this really quickly you talk about. I'm going to share three ways that we can take responsibility. The first one is this. See yourself as part of that plan. See yourself as part of that plan. Listen, we are all in this room because one way or another, we have been called to the city. And if you're just visiting, you should move here, okay? But we, we're, we're in this room because we've been called to this city, that God brought you here for a purpose. Whether you see that or not, whether you believe that or not, whether you're still trying to figure out the truth to that or not, you're here for a reason. It's a purpose that is much bigger than you. It's a purpose that you may not even be able to see yet. You may not even be able to perceive it yet. But listen, you have a purpose here. 
That God has brought you to Huntsville, to Madison, wherever you live in the area, he's brought you here for a reason. You know, the thing I've learned about God through the years is that what moves him is the cry of his people. So, like, yes, God wants to, he wants to use you. He wants to use us. That's what purpose is, is us taking advantage of the opportunity to do something that the Lord has called us to. So he wants to use us. But think about this. It's oftentimes because of a response of his people. So when he called Moses, like it wasn't about Moses. It wasn't like Moses had this prayer, like, use me, God. Like that wasn't it. But it was in response to his people. Look at Exodus 3, 9 and 10. It says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. Look at Gideon in Judges 6, where he says, when the Israelites cried out, his people cried out to the Lord because of Midian, and down in verse 14, it says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? So very clear right there, we see that God is responding to his people, but he's using individuals to do it. So you have a purpose here. You have a reason why you're here. That's why this city is growing because the Lord must have been saying, like, there is something happening in Huntsville, and I'm bringing you here. You're here or you've been here, and you are a solution to the cry of the people. So could it be that the Lord has heard the collective cries of people in this city? And so as a result, he has raised up the Becoming Church. And when I say the Becoming Church, I'm not talking about me or Katie. I'm talking about you, family, that you are the answer to the cry of his people. And listen, I'm not saying that, but God is saying it. That's why you're here. You're not here just because you saw something on social media. You may have thought that's why you're here. You're not here because you got an email. You're not even just here because you got invited. You are here because God called you here. All those other things were just tools, but it was the Lord that brought you here, and he brought you here to be salt and light. He brought you here to be a difference maker. He brought you here to be an agent of change because of what he has put inside of you. Family, you are part of the plan. Now, with that being said, it's one thing to hear this, that you're part of the plan, but it's another thing to believe this. Because you start asking all the questions of, well, how can I be used when I have this problem? How can I be used when I have this issue? How can I actually be part of the plan? Do you understand my story? Do you understand my struggle? Do you know where I come from? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I'm going through? And if you're asking these questions, listen, you are no different than Moses. This is the same thing that he did. When God called him, he didn't respond with, bet, let's go. Instead, he responded with a bunch of excuses. Well, I can't speak. Who do I say that's calling me? And all these other things. Just like Gideon. Gideon started listing off all the reasons why he couldn't be called. But here's what I realized. Because it's very clear. Like God used a bush to call Moses. Like, bro, it's clear that you're called, okay? And let me tell you this. You, you may not have walked by a bush and it was burning. But you're called. God has called you. Understand that. Despite whatever you may have heard or you may feel yourself, there is a calling on your life to express Jesus to the world. Please know and understand that and believe that. 
So we're called. But looking at Moses and Gideon and some of us, it's clear that we don't have a calling issue, but we have a confidence issue. Because it's clear that they were called, but yet it was their confidence that became the issue. The issue wasn't whether they were called or not. The issue was their confidence in responding to the calling. But why is that? I believe it's this, because the enemy knows that he can't steal your calling, so he attacks your confidence. He says, if I can get you to believe the thing that God has called you to, it's not actually the thing that he has called you to. If I can get you to lean into all your insecurities and all of the reasons of why not, then maybe I would just keep you stagnant and keep you there. And when that happens, guess what? There's a cry over there that's not being responded to. Because you're being raised up and you're being called to answer a problem that God wants to answer, but he wants to use you to do it. But if the enemy can get you to focus in on some of your deficiencies rather than the sufficiency of God, then you will remain stagnant. So he can't steal your calling, so he attacks our confidence. Do you know what family you come from? Do you know what issues you have? Do you know you don't have enough education? Do you know you don't know the right people? Do you know, oh, oh, you know your ethnicity so you can never walk in those doors? Oh, 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 do you know what they say about people who look like you? Well, you know they're just going to assume that you think and act like this just because. All these different things that we start listing off that the enemy will plant there to try to move us from responding to the call. But listen, family, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 makes it very clear. God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. They can never be taken away. So here's what we got to do. Stop trying to in, embrace all these things that the enemy is saying. We need to start embracing who God is. So stop embracing who you are. Stop embracing your problems. Stop embracing your issues. Stop embracing the failure and start embracing who has called you. He said that I am. He was telling Moses, yo, Bro, you don't even know what you are going to need, but guess what? I am. Okay, you can't speak. Okay, you can't do this. Okay, you can't do that. It doesn't matter because I am sending you, and I am going to be every single thing that you need to do what I've called you to do. We got to get that this morning because there are answers to problems in this room. But if the enemy attacks our confidence and gets us to think that we don't have what it takes— then we're missing bringing a solution to the problem that exists. I am has chosen you, and he has called you, and you are part of the plan. So we got to understand that. We've got to see that we're a part of the plan. The other way we step up and take responsibility is when we choose local. So in every city... There's always a push to buy local. I want to go back to the last point. He's like, you just went to the, this next point. I want to go back to the last point. I feel like sometimes, some of us, we struggle because we don't fit in. But you don't fit in for a reason. Listen, you're not better than, but you're different from. So there's a reason why you don't fit in. Family, never sit here and try to explain who God has called you to be to somebody else who can't see it. He's given you the vision. And he's told you to write it down. He's told you 
to make it plain. Yes, so others can run, but if they can't understand it, then they were not meant to run with. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't waste your energy trying to get somebody to see what they can't see because they weren't meant to see it. So you're not, you're not better than, but you're just different from. So you know what that means? Some things I can't participate because I'm, I'm different than that. Y'all going where? I love y'all, but I can't go because of the call that's on my life. Oh, you tripping now. Yes, I am. Because I got a call on my life, and my call is not to be in that place. My call is not to participate in that. My call is not to go there. What I'm called is to go over here. And so if I got to be ostracized, if I got to be left out, then that's all right. Because guess what? I'm going to walk into calling and fulfill what God has put me here because I have this realization that it's not about me. Because because the things that he has put inside of me, it is for others. Know this, the gifts, the call, everything that God has equipped you for, it is not for you, right? It is not for you, but it is for others. That's why it's so important uh, to get over this uh, imposter syndrome. Well, we feel like we're an imposter in a place. Well, I don't, I don't belong in this room. I'm sitting in this conference room, and, man, there's that person. They got this degree and that degree more than a demonic. Like, how and I? I barely, I barely passed. I'm barely here. No, you are in that room because the Lord made room for you in that room. And there's something that you have that can bring a solution. You're not an imposter, but you are an agent of change. That you are an atmosphere shifter. The Lord uses all types of, of, of adjectives to describe us. And listen, family, normal isn't one of them. So if things don't feel normal, that's because they ain't supposed to be normal. So you tell folks, I am different, different. I am new, new. You ain't seen this before. I'm one of one. You can't go get this. This is a different type of NFT. <laughs> like you you can't do this not because I'm better than you I'm just different in the same way they are too but God has given them to uh, things and gifts things and callings to answer a problem that you can't answer but guess what happens when all of that sinks up oh my gosh we can be agents of change that we can call heaven down to earth and see a real difference be made that we don't have to hear my heart when I say this we don't have to wait for legislation to happen to see change. We thank God for legislation because in the heat of the moment, it does bring some instant change, but it ain't stopping there. No, it's for the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the church mobilized with the giftings and callings that the Lord has placed in us to really go and be changed. Because understand this, if they can legislate one way, they can legislate another so, no, we need to be the people of God and say, listen, no matter what they do up there, we've got work to do because of what the Lord has called us to. Are you tracking with me this morning? You're not an imposter. You're here for a reason. And I'm going to hurry up. So we must, we need to choose local. That's the second reason, the second way we take responsibility. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oftentimes when we hear world, we think across the ocean. But family, listen, world is across the street. The world begins with your neighbor. The world begins with your friend group. The world begins at the gym. The world begins at your grocery store. 
When I was a youth pastor, I always encountered students that were ready to become missionaries and live somewhere across the world, which I think is amazing. And uh, as a church, like we're going to, our efforts are strong locally, but our efforts will be strong in world missions as well. But friends, understand and know that a mission field exists right in front of you. Oftentimes, especially in the city as it grows and the prosperity in the city, sometimes we can think a social economic status means that a mission field doesn't exist. But how do you guys know that that's not true? Because oftentimes some people are doing this thing to keep up with other folks. And so uh, they're in debt all the way up here. They can't afford the car that they're driving. They're having to do other things that they don't want to do because they're all trying to keep up with this image. So reality is a mission field in front of us. And here's why I say that. It's because all of us aren't called to go across the ocean. So thank God for people who have the burden and the heart to go across the the ocean and to take the gospel into all these places, into the corners of the earth. But some of us, family, are just simply called to go across the street. Because could it be that your mission field is your job? Your mission field is your university? Like, what if part of our prayer life, we pray, Lord, God, give me the insight in how to approach my job. Lord, give me wisdom in how I handle my professor. Could you imagine how we could shift and change atmospheres and situations? Think about the influence that you could gain, all for the purpose of making a difference of where you're at. Oftentimes, I've been in Huntsville for a while, and I've seen a lot of the change and in, in, in growth. And I remember one of the things that people would often say, man, I got to go somewhere else. And some people still say that. I got to get out of here. I got to get to Nashville. You go to Nashville, pay a million dollars for 900 square feet. See how you like that. (laughs) But I got to go to Atlanta. I got to go here. I got to be there. But listen, family, could it be that you don't need something new? You just need a new approach. Maybe you've been doing it the wrong way. What if the new thing was actually an old thing? What if you didn't need a new city? You just needed a new approach. Maybe the thing that irritates you, God has actually given you the solution for it. But the tricky part is this. You're not able to realize that because you're too busy identifying the problems instead of missing the fact that you're the solution. So listen, you can make a difference right here. You just got to choose local. You can make a difference in Huntsville. That, That thing, that gift, You can express it in this city. That talent can be realized right here. Maybe you're the pioneer. Maybe you're the tip of the arrow that's got to go through first. And, yes, the tip of the arrow experiences a lot more than the rest. But, hey, you're a groundbreaker. You're a pioneer. That's just what God has called you to do. So you don't need another city. You don't need Nashville. You don't need Atlanta. You don't don't need anywhere you need right here. God is saying the fulfillment that you're looking for is right here. If you would just change your mindset and see that all you need is right in front of you. Why would we, if we say that the Lord gave us the gift, why would we think who God has called us to be and what he has put inside of us could only be realized and flourish in another place? Well, then he didn't give it to us. That's just us. Right? That's some skill set that we develop, but that's not him. Now, yes, there are times when the Lord transitions us and moves us to place. I'm not denying that. 
But sometimes the Lord is saying, all you need is all you have. You just need to change your mindset and choose to invest in your city. Choose to serve your city. Choose to be generous in your city. Choose to pray for your city. Choose to love your city. Because most of the time when I'm sitting with people and I'm hearing those conversations, my first question is like, have you prayed for your city? Have you, have you served it? Have you gotten out? Have you met folks? What are you trying to do? Especially when it comes to community. People say, oh, I don't have community. I need to move here. But you're going to move there and just be lonely amongst a whole bunch of other people. Because the work is going to be the same. Community takes community. If you want to be community, then be, if you want community, then be community. Show up to the lunch. Don't always be, I'm busy right now. You're probably not. You Busy is, I'm scrolling. Like, no, go to the lunch. Go to coffee. Go to breakfast. And then you'll realize what you needed was actually right here. And so my prayer is, Lord, if you're going to do it, do it in Huntsville. If you're going to do it anywhere, Lord, do it in Madison. Let us lead the way. Like, let them fly in saying, um, so can, can you guys tell us the secret? Can you tell us what you did? And the answer would be simple. No. We gained an understanding that the world isn't over there, but the world is right here. That the Lord is saying, love where you live because I've got a purpose for you right in this city. The world is local family. And before we can make an impact anywhere else, we must be committed to making a difference and impact in this city first. And here's the final way that we step up and take responsibility for our city. It's to tell your story. There's so much power in a story. And if you don't believe me, just get on Instagram. Like, have you ever heard, you know, these um, influencers? Like, so an influencer is, I got a definition for you. I want to be accurate in this. It's defined as a user on social media who has established credibility in a specific industry. And listen, companies love social media influencers because it comes off as more authentic, more real, more personable. Like, so they don't want to hire and, and have some you know, celebrity or whatever because people may not connect with that as much because they may be like, you don't really wear that. You don't really use that. You don't really go there. But, you know, a social media influence, oh, it's like, like a regular person. So, yeah, people are more inclined to follow and to listen and then ultimately make a purchase. And they do this all in what is called a story, a 15-second clip on Instagram. Now, I have literally observed my wife watch millions of these little dots from some influencer that she follows, which tells me it's a powerful tool because people are more than likely to connect that way, which means this, there is power in a story. Now, I know I'm kind of using a play on words here, right, Instagram story, and I'm talking about power in your story, that there are people that you can reach that I never will not because I couldn't connect with them, but because you have a truth, you have an experience that you have experienced that I haven't. And you can tell that story. And maybe your story is like their story. And so as I close this morning, that's why the work of ministry 
are the works of service. It's not something that's reserved for me, but it's reserved for you. Like it's reserved for all of us. My job is to equip us to do the work of ministry. I've got scripture on you. Like what a scripture. I got it. Ephesians 4. It says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and then it continues on, to equip his people, his people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that means it's us. It's our responsibility. So my job is to equip, and then it's you to go and do the work of ministry, that you are ministers in this place. That's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You are ministers. Paul is saying that it is your job to tell others the goodness of God that you have encountered and how Jesus has changed your life. That God brought us back to him through Jesus. So because of that, go and tell others how he did that. Because how he did it for me is different than how he did it for you. So what I know is that many of us, we wrestle with the idea of telling our story because we're like, yo, I don't know if all my theology is there. So I don't know if I can go and tell my story, then they may come back with some questions. I can't really talk about Calvinism. I don't, I don't really know about that. So what if they come at me with that? And so I'm just going to keep my story quiet. Or, you know, I don't know about my end time. Is it, is it pre, mid, post-trip? Like, I don't know where I'm really at with that stuff. Don't worry about that. Just tell them to come to church and we can talk about it. You just tell me your story. I don't know the Roman world. It's okay. Tell your story. Because listen, family, when you hold back your story, you're choosing to throw away the key that can unlock someone else's freedom. Because they need to hear what you went through to see what God brought you through. To get this hope in this picture like, yo, if God did it in your life, he could do it in mine. And I'm not saying that you're the key to freedom, but rather it's the story of what Jesus has done in their life. That's how we overcome that's what Revelation 12, 11 says. They try out him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's what Jesus has done, and it's how he has done that specifically for you. It's like the other day, I was at Publix. Y'all know I like to go to Publix. And I was running there real quick to get something, and I had on a Becoming Church uh, t-shirt. And... The lady checking out, I don't know if you're in here today, God bless you, but the lady checking um, me out at the uh, cash register, she's like, so, what are you becoming? (laughs) I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. (laughs) I was like, you know, we're still trying to figure that out, but hopefully, you know, I'm becoming who God has called me to become. And she's like, oh, so you think God got something to do with it? I said, I just wanted to get something real quick. <laughs> and I told her, I'm 100% sure that God got something to do with it. And then she's like, uh, I could debate you on that. I was like, a debate you going to lose? <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. That's what I told her. I was like, oh, bring it down. Bring it down a little bit. 
And she's like, well, I don't know about that. And then, I don't remember, we kind of went on a little bit. And I was like, look, I got to go. God bless you. But what I was trying to tell her is like, listen, I don't know what your experience is. And I'm going to pray for you. If there's some hurt, if there's some pain, if there's some disappointment that you have in your life, that you have that stance. But you can't tell me what God has done in my life. I don't have to have all the theology. I don't have to have all of the degrees. But I know what he has done in my life. I shouldn't be who I am today. I shouldn't be doing what I am today. I'm not worthy of the family that he has given me. I'm not worthy of what he has brought into my life. It is completely the grace and the goodness of God. The issues and things you struggle with and deal with and what you have to press through and all of the insecurities, it has only been God. So I may not be able to tell you every single thing with a matter of fact, but I can tell you what the Lord has done in my life. I can tell you the doors that he has opened. I can tell you the healing that has taken place. I can tell you of the freedom that he has brought in my life. I can tell you of the deliverance that he has brought into my life and how he has saved me and changed me completely from the inside out. Now, I may not have the story of everything that he has took me from, but I have the story of what he kept me from. Thank God I didn't get involved with that. Thank God I didn't get involved with this. So maybe that's you. You're like, yo, I don't have that story. Like, I was selling this and selling that and doing this and doing that. It don't matter. Your story still has power. Look what the, what the Lord kept you from. Look what you did not get involved with when you had the opportunity to. You're here, family. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that for granted. And you say, yeah, I crawled in, but you in. You're still standing. You're still here. So you got a story to tell, just like the woman at the well. I don't have time to cover that, but she had all kind of issues in her life. But she encountered Jesus. She was a Samaritan which they were already despised, and then she was a woman because they didn't value women in that culture. But yet Jesus, a Jewish man, is talking to her, and he's talking to her in a way that's brought revelations like, yo, this dude is different. And she goes back to her village, and she tells the story of this person, Jesus, that she's encountered to the point that they're like, yo, we've got to have this encounter too. And then they do. And then they say this, in verse 4, 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Family, there is power in your story. When you share your story, you're sharing the revelation of who Jesus is to you, all while setting the stage for others to receive the revelation of who Jesus wants to be to them. So here's the thing that I want us to walk away with today is that God has a plan for our city and he has chosen you. He's chosen us to carry it out and you have exactly what you need to do it. I don't care what the enemy has whispered in your ear. I don't care what your cousin has said, what your mom has said, what your dad said. I don't care about any of that. The Lord has placed something in you to be a solution and an answer to the needs of this city. Would you pray with me this morning?